and welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. My name is Ashby, and today I'm here with Melissa and Alexis. Our topic for today is Daylight Savings Time. We thought this one would be timely because Daylight Savings Time is coming up, the fall iteration, the fall back, and it's something that causes a lot of people to spiral into panic. <laughs> we have this great schedule. Everything's working great. I hope that's you. But what happens when the clocks move? How are we going to deal with that? People love to panic flail about daylight oh, yeah. savings. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, I'm not a lover of fall. Um, we're in Vermont, and fall means that the hours of daylight shrink dramatically. Um, by the time Christmas comes around, the sun will be setting at 3.30. So so mm. fall is the beginning of the long, dark season. So it's not that fall itself is bad. I mean, fall is great, but it is a time where our hours of daylight diminish, and that's typically it's the beginning a of the end. <laughs> it's typically a bummer. Um, so I did a little research into daylight savings uh, before our call today because I was like, well, you know, how did this get started? So there's this there's this myth that it was Ben Franklin's fault, and mm-hmm. it turns out that we cannot blame Ben Franklin for daylight savings. Ben Franklin did not voice this upon us. Apparently, he made some joke about it um, back in the 1700s, something to the effect of, hey, maybe we could, like, you know, use less candles. Um, but but literally, it's just like a joke that he made, and it's completely uh. unrelated to anything that our modern daylight savings um, has hmm. to deal with. So apparently, modern daylight savings actually was put into law in 1966, so hundreds of years after Ben Franklin was dead. Um, and it was called the U.S. Uniform Time Act. And the issue was that we didn't have continuity across the U.S. Um, in terms of, people, you know, some states were doing daylight savings, some weren't. Uh, so so that we, they wanted to establish consistency. And, of course, there was the age-old, we're going to save energy. People will lose their, you know, their lights less frequently and we'll all have – and this was during the energy crisis, of course. So it was to mm-hmm. – the goal was to save energy. Now – we know, of course, over the past 50 years that it doesn't save any energy. Um, the, the net effect of daylight savings is is there's no energy savings. The changing of uh, clock time actually uh, has been had measurable effects in terms of decreasing productivity. Um, people are sleep deprived for as long as a week. Uh, one study actually tried to link uh, a slight bump in um, kind of industrial and car accidents to daylight mm-hmm. savings time. So. So you could argue that daylight savings time is just a bad thing all around and it doesn't have any upside. It has all this momentum now, though, so it's hard to change. Yeah, we're not, you know, our government is not currently functioning on all cylinders right now. So trying to change daylight savings time in this political climate is unlikely. I feel like we could get bipartisanship agreement, though. Why can't we tackle this one thing? I don't know. I don't, I don't. You have more faith. You're more optimistic than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, basically, everybody who's like doing gloom about daylight savings times is right. It does suck for everybody. There, yeah, there is no upside. Although I will say, you know, the reality is that the number of hours of daylight diminishes. And whether you have dark mornings or dark afternoons, that darkness is going to come in sometime. So right. the idea of moving the clock to try to maximize daylight, you know, that's, it's, it's shortening the days doesn't have, you know, so you're going to have a dark morning or a dark night. The dark morning actually sucks for me personally. But you know, neither is the sun setting at 330 awesome. So it's, there's just no good answer, honestly, um, except to move to Arizona, which is currently the only state in the U.S. that just ignores the whole mess and does their own thing. Nice. We do our own thing. You're, they're not, renegades. I'm not from Arizona. I've never been there. They're but clock renegades. They do their own thing. All right. So that's the history. So uh, we're approaching fall daylight savings time. So fall is when we fall back, which means we shut the clocks back an hour. 
which effectively has the result of making us stay awake longer in the evening. So if your child's bedtime is seven o'clock, we're going to set the clocks back. So their body is used to falling asleep at seven, but now that's going to be six o'clock. So when the clock says it's seven o'clock, your child's body is going to think it's eight o'clock. I know this is kind of confusing. So we're using the term body clock and, and, and clock time. So body clock is what your body's used to doing. Clock time is what the clock says. So yeah. the net effect of fall savings, fall daylight savings is we're going to stay awake an hour earlier at night. We're going to be going to bed an hour later than we're used to doing. Of course, that's the easy part, right? We all could keep us, unless you have a very small baby, it can be sometimes hard to stretch that wake time. But if you have a toddler, it's easy peasy to keep them up for an hour. Well, yeah, that's true. But Ashby, why don't you tell us why um, staying awake an hour past your bedtime can lead to problems? Well, for a very small child, um, their wake time may only be one or two hours. And so stretching that whole hour at once is going to cause incredible crabbiness in the evening. Um, but for older children, oftentimes they're staying up an hour later, but they're not going to sleep in an hour later in the morning. So it might be easier in the evening, but the body clock is still on that old time in the morning. So now you're up an hour early. Yeah. So if your child used to sleep until six in the morning, their body is going to tell them that it's time to wake up at body clock 6 a.m., which is now clock time 5 a.m. 5 a.m. So daylight, fall daylight savings exacerbates early morning waking issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and some kids uh, will have a hard time happily staying awake an hour later. Um, sometimes you get what's, what's called the second wind effect, which is, oh, I'm now awake too long. My body's response is to produce cortisol, which is a stimulant. So now I'm actually having a hard time, a harder time falling asleep and staying asleep, even though I'm overtired heading into bedtime. Mm-hmm. So these are all of the reasons why people do not enjoy the gentle joys of fall daylight savings time. Uh, because, you know, the, the possibly waking up earlier than you already are is certainly unpleasant. Um, having a, you know, cranky kid, uh, awake for an extra hour at night is unpleasant. And the possibility of having possibly some night sleep disruption due to the second wind effect or being overtired at bedtime, you know, it's just a, it's a whole, you know, tsunami of not fun things associated with daylight savings. Yes. Um, I will say the one possible upside is, if your child has been um, going to bed too late, meaning, you know, just naturally, let's say you had a, you know, maybe you have a four-month-old whose bedtime is nine o'clock and you'd like a little more adult time at night and you were looking to kind of shift bedtime up, this is a nice uh, option to do that. So you mm-hmm. could literally, um, you know, just basically keep your child's bedtime the same, but shift the clock. So the nine yeah. o'clock bedtime becomes an eight o'clock bedtime. Uh She's going to bed at the same time as she was, just the clock time has changed. So, so, so in some cases, it's actually a plus, but for the rest of us, it's a, it's a net, net lose situation. So typically, a good way to ease into making this change is to start in advance, to prepare in advance. Instead of moving that bedtime an entire hour right on the day, we can start four days a week in advance and move things 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, and I would encourage people with younger babies where the the two you know where the second wind effect where being awake too long is going to be a challenge. That's where you want to do the you know spread it out. You know, move the clock fifteen minutes a day. You know, when you have a three year old, staying awake an extra hour shouldn't be that big of an issue. Right. But when you have a nine month old, that extra hour could be the difference between you know a good night of sleep and up all night. So 
the younger they are, the more you want to consider taking things gradually, moving the clock gradually. The older they are, the lazier you get to be. And that really applies to everything uh, in parenting. Hey. <laughs> um, yes. So this 15-minute uh, for the younger children means we move everything forward or backward by 15 minutes a day. So it's not just bedtime. It's also nap times and even meal times if possible. Yeah, and thanks for bringing it up. So daylight savings should shift everything around the clock, not just bedtime, but nap time. So if you had a child who was napping by the clock at hypothetically, you know, nine and one, those naps need to shift too, because we don't want to keep those on the old clock time and then move bedtime to the new clock time. I mean, everything has to move. And, um, and a gradual approach can sometimes make that a slightly smoother process. Yeah. Um, yeah, because if you're moving bedtime and not paying attention to the naps and leaving those, then you can end up with problems where there's not enough wake time or too much wake time, which is the problem that you're trying to prevent by moving it gradually. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so this is this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna put like my like uh, my little plug in here for light exposure. So I always feel like a bit like you know <laughs> I always feel like I'm off in the weeds like talking about this weird thing where I'm like you need to expose yourself to light. But truthfully, this is actually a, a very credible, like, science-backed recommendation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one that I use myself in my own personal life. Because as I mentioned, you know, Vermont's very dark. Our daylight hours get very, very short in the winter. And I struggle a little bit with, um, with sad. I have a little bit of a struggle getting my energy levels up because there's just not enough light exposure. And your body needs to be exposed to light, l- literally light hitting the retinas to juice your signals that it's time to be awake and get moving. Right. And if you don't have any light exposure or not enough, you don't get that that juice, and I definitely struggle with this myself because you, you know need that I, used, juice. I need that juice. You know, we used to live in Colorado. Colorado's super sunny. Oh, we used to live so in California, yeah. super sunny. We came to like Vermont. <laughs> Vermont has like the fewest days of sun in the nation. Yes, I've looked that up, and then you know I'm not exaggerating. When that sun sets at three thirty, it's tough. It is oh, tough. tough. Yeah, kids get off yeah. the bus five minutes later. It's dark out. Um, yeah, so, no, it's depressing when you look outside and then it's dark when it was like light like a few weeks ago. It's, it's just there's, it's like when I take Nick to work, it's been getting progressively darker and darker and darker in the mornings when we get up to take him. And I'm like, I can't deal with this. You know, not to get too far off on a tangent here, but, you know, they have those alarm clocks that light up in the morning, but they're oh, yeah. really expensive. They're like one hundred and thirty dollars. And I keep circling back around on Amazon and I'm like, because waking up in the dark, it's really hard for me. And I, you know, I keep going like, oh, it's so much money. But then like when the, the alarm's going off and it's pitch black, I'm like, oh, I should spend the money. <laughs> uh, it feels so, feels so worth it at that, at that moment. I know, I know. But I'm also like, it's a light on a timer. I mean, this is not <laughs> rocket science. But I, well, you could DIY that. I know, but I want the gradual. That's the issue. Like, I want the gradual. Is that's the whole, anyway? So enough about the light. But anyway, the the point is, is this this sounds like woo, but it's not woo. This is actually evidence based advice about how our bodies and our our internal clock shifts according to light exposure. And light exposure is very very powerful in terms of regulating our internal circadian rhythm, which was. In, in charge largely of, of how we sleep at night. So and, uh, Alexis, I want to interject something about sure. that is this is uh, some research I was reading a while ago and I don't have any citations. So we'll just have to go off the cuff on this, but it was about uh, some light circadian manipulation that was done by putting light at the backs of people's knees. Hmm. that still had the same effect of shifting the body clock. 
Huh. Uh, so it's not just, I think it's not just hitting the retinas from what I've read. Wow. I don't know about the backs of knees. Everything I've, uh, I've read talks about basically eye exposure. And that's sure. also, by yeah. the way, uh, why computer use in the bed or Kindles can be problematic because it's light hitting the retina. Um, but maybe, <laughs> maybe the knees are also challenging. Yeah. But in, in the case for fallback, what we're looking at is saying, well, we need to stay awake longer than our bodies are used to, but we also want to encourage our bodies to sleep a little later in the morning because, uh, you know, if our child's been waking up at six, uh, when we change the clocks out, that's going to, if they continue to wake up at what their body thinks is 6 a.m., they're effectively waking up at five. So we want to do everything we can to kind of help them sleep in a little bit so that they actually go to bed later and sleep a little later versus going, you know, staying up later and then waking up at the time they used to, which would have the net effect of dropping one hour of sleep over the night, which is actually, you know, a significant percentage of Mm -hmm. their overall Mm -hmm. sleep. So the best that your most powerful tool to encourage them to actually sleep a little bit in in the morning and not wake up at their old body clock is to use bright light exposure in the late evening, you know, say like an hour, hour and a half prior to bedtime. And I mean bright light. So for many of us, you know, at that time of night, the sun has set or is setting. It's fairly dim outside. So that's not an option. You know, most indoor light is might be good enough depending on sort of what the lighting situation in your home is because i have a sad lamp which is a very bright you know 10,000 lumen lamp i Full literally spectrum, right yeah it's a, it's a, i've invested in the hardcore hardware i literally will encourage my kids and i'm like hey let's play family game night like last year we played monopoly for an hour with a bright satellite beaming in on us um because my kids also wake up at 6 in the morning and nobody including myself wants to get up at 5 mm-hmm. like 6 is bad mm-hmm. enough so we used light exposure, and amazingly, it worked. And I say amazingly, I mean, I've read all the science, but when I do something and it works, it's like, wow, this science is actually, this actually panned out. And it's pretty amazing for me because my kids are locked in at six. It doesn't matter yeah. what time they go to bed. We don't do fireworks for that reason. We can stay up till 11 to watch fireworks. They're up at six. So mm-hmm. we're really locked in. And to have that shift out in one day with bright light exposure prior to bedtime, to me, was phenomenal. Yeah, that's significant when you have a resolute early wake. You know, I can read all the research that says it'll work, but until it actually worked, I was a little sketchy on it. (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing to read it and another thing to experience it for yourself. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, So so even with younger babies, you want to use bright light. You know, if you're in a place that's sunny, go outside prior to bedtime. If you're not, use bright light in the house um, and uh, try to do what you can to to help their body to shift out, associate, you know, along with the time change. And is it, we also want to add the dim lights in the morning. So if you're still up at five, that's not the time to turn on the bright lights and good morning. Yeah, it's not part of everything. Ooh. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to be like, hey, we're going to sit in the dim lights now mm-hmm. at five. But uh, that's another way we can help shift things on the Keep other Keep the light end. levels really low. And sometimes people use video in the morning, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe with toddlers because they're just so tired. You know, five o'clock is a miserable time to be up and nobody wants to like, you know, nobody wants to play Thomas the Train with a two-year-old mm-hmm. at five in the yeah. morning. So people <laughs> will sometimes put on a video or do a little iPad time to basically just – give the the adults time to kind of process and wake up. And I totally like understand coffee. that instinct. And I have that too. I, I don't jump out of bed raring to seize the day. I need a little time as well. 
But that that bright light exposure first thing in the morning from a screen, an iPad, or a TV is not helping you. And mm-hmm. I'll say further, if the first thing you do in the morning is something your child loves, mm-hmm. um, whether that's nursing, whether that's video games, whether that's, you know, uh, you know, watching Peeps World, whatever it is, that's really discouraging them from sleeping in. So you want to keep the activities early in the morning pretty dull and unrewarding. This is now that not... is miserable, Alexis. You're telling us we have to get up at 5 a.m. and do unpleasant things in the dark for an hour. <laughs> I'm the worst. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you know, you, you can ignore my advice and, and, and really <laughs> and really coax your child into waking up at 5 for all eternity. <laughs> or you can maybe take my advice and try to move the needle out to us. Yeah, you got to think ahead, time. right? It's like diet and exercise, you know, yeah. it's not fun, but you know, you're looking for health and well-being. There's just no uh yes. the reward is later, not the, now. There's no there's no shortcut. That's you just got to suck it up. Um as my as my, as my my gym class teacher says, you got to do the work. You got to do the work, people. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um so that's fall. So just to recap, in the fall, we want to use bright light exposure in the evening. For younger children, you might want to make the time change gradual, 15 minutes a day until you get your child's clock and your clock clock synced up. You want to make sure that any changes you're making in schedule are 24 hours a day. So if you're moving bedtime out, you got to move naps out. Everything else should move out with it. And you want to keep the light dull and the activity levels pretty boring. Um, I mean, sorry, light dim, activities boring when your child wakes up in the morning to encourage them to shift out a little bit later. We don't want to reward early wakings with like, you know, iPad time. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's address the real young baby set, you know, your newborns, your four month olds. I know everybody's going to say, Oh my newborn goes to bed at a strict schedule at 9 PM. <laughs> like, no, 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 there's no strict schedule at three months. I mean, it's <laughs> unlikely. So I, I, in my opinion, for that set, you just kind of roll with things. I mean, things are going to fluctuate so much within the next couple of months that I'm not sure it's really worth doing all this manipulation yeah. in order yeah. to try to change things for your newborn. I mean, um, Alan was born in October, so that's just like a few weeks before daylight savings time he yeah. was born. And I don't think we did anything, no. I think, just he, he in that care. haze of like having a newborn and he doesn't care. I don't think he even... He was little enough. He didn't even have his circadian rhythm developed yet, which you can go listen to about in one of our other podcasts, our newborn survival one. Absolutely. I mean, if I had to put a stake in the ground, I would probably say that, you know, kids under four months, you could probably just roll with it. Yeah. You know, Um, and then maybe and then maybe there's a window from four months to a year where you might want to consider gradual changes. And then most toddlers, you know. Again, all babies are different, but most toddlers can kind of handle it. Just making the change as, as a one-time thing, some bright light exposure in the evening, and, uh, you know, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. If so you forget that daylight savings time is coming up, and then, like, the night before daylight savings time, you realize, crap, tomorrow is daylight savings time, and you end up having to wing it, it will also be okay. Yeah. It will take about a week or so for them to adjust, but, like... I know that daylight savings time is not top priority in your mind calendar. So if you forget about it and you end up winging it, it all works out in the end. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, full disclosure, I forget about it most of the time until like, I'm like, oh, my my phone clock changed because the phones and computers mm-hmm. change automatically. And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. Um, uh, and it's never. Uh, all right. So spring forward. So so fall is a biggie coming up. But, you know, in a couple of months, we'll also have spring. So in in the spring. Um, we move the clocks 
forward. And this one's a little challenging because let's say our bedtime again was seven o'clock. So now we have a, let's say a nine month old who's regulated around a seven o'clock bedtime. And now we're going to move the clock forward. So oh. seven becomes eight, which if now you're in the forbidden zone. Yeah. So, so let's elaborate on that. So what that means is we're effectively the result of spring daylight savings is we're asking our child to go to bed an hour before they're used to going to bed. So couple of thoughts here. One is the forbidden zone. So as Ashby mentioned, all of us as human beings have what's called the forbidden zone for sleep. We are wired to not sleep in a time period prior to our normal scheduled bedtime. And this is why that primetime TV exists. Primetime TV is everything from 8 to 10. That's called primetime because human beings are wired to not sleep then. So that's the peak television viewing hours of the day because no one's asleep. It's very hard to go to bed during that time uh, if your normal bedtime is 10 or 11 o'clock. Um, you know, kids have this too. So when we ask them to go to bed a full hour earlier than they're used to, that's warring with their biology. Their their body does not want to sleep. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just, it's, 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 it's an uphill battle. It's hard for them to fall asleep. Similarly, we look at our nap schedules. If our naps have been happening kind of on a normal schedule and we're asking them to move bedtime up, we also, we combine the forbidden zone issue with now a too small uh, window of wake time prior to bedtime. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that happen in the spring that can make falling asleep at bedtime a real struggle. So in the fall, it's easy to fall asleep. We're actually a little overtired. It's pretty easy to fall asleep. In the spring, falling asleep at bedtime can be a real challenge. And a good part, of course, there's the possibility your child might start sleeping an hour later, which if you're part of the 5 a.m. crew, that mm-hmm. will be good news in the spring. Yeah, this is a great time, too, if your kid has a too early bedtime to shift it back. Because if, say, your kid mm-hmm. is normally falling asleep at 530, then you can move it to 630, which was 530, and then it it um it won't be so early. So let's just elaborate that. I hate talking about daylight savings. It's so confusing because we oh, have it like, is. It is. it's body clock, it's clock. You know, what are we talking about? So, but Melissa had a great point. So some kids, because just of how they're built, they go to bed really, really early. And that's just who they are. And parents will say, well, if we try to push bedtime back, they're just melting down. It's a mess. So you have kids who go to bed at like 530 or 6. Um, and then they sleep 11 hours, which means they're waking for the day at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. And that's not an unreasonable time to start the day when you went to bed at 5.30. You know, that's pretty pretty much to be expected. And these parents are dying, right? Like, they hate this because nobody wants to wake up at 4.30. And nobody wants to put their kid to bed at 5.30. I mean, most parents are working. You know, you basically get home from daycare and it's immediately bedtime. Like, so, so this 5.30, 4.30 a.m. situation is not great for anyone. I mean, it's working for the baby. So, of course, the, you know, the baby presumably is pretty happy with it. But the parents are like, this is not, you know, no bueno. So spring daylight savings is a great option to shift that out. And what you basically do is you keep your child's schedule the same, but left, let the clock move. Mm-hmm. And the net effect is your 5.30 bedtime has just become a 6.30 bedtime and your 4.30 wake up has just become a 5.30 wake up which is going to feel pretty awesome after a year of 4.30 waking up. That 5.30 is going to feel like glorious. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what do we do for the kids who aren't going to bed at 5.30? What about for the kids that are going to bed at 8? 
So we know, so we know that, that making shift, dramatic shifts towards an earlier bedtime, and an hour is pretty dramatic for like, you know, a kid under two, we know that's a hard ask, that's hard to fall asleep. So in the fall, we mentioned making incremental changes 15 minutes a day. And we said, you know, you, you might want to choose that some kids will need that some won't. In the in the spring, I would be more encouraging for you to consider that to make yeah. the incremental changes so that bedtime moves earlier by fifteen minutes a day across four days versus doing and this. The, oh yeah, well in the spring, and that means not just bedtimes moves earlier, but you're waking them fifteen minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. So those nap times are fifteen minutes earlier. You're waking them fifteen minutes earlier from their approximate normal wake up time, and that can be kind of a painful part for people because <laughs> no one wants to wake the baby up no. from a nap or at night. But if you don't, then the whole bedtime thing is is then not going to work and right. you know, um, you have to do one and the other. You have to do them together. Yep, you mm-hmm. have to you got to do the work, right Ashby? Mm. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and just like we talked about bright light exposure. So in the evening, in the fall, when you want to stay awake longer than you're usually staying awake, you want to do bright light exposure in the evening. That's what's going to signal to your body that we want to stay awake a little bit longer and hopefully stay asleep a little bit longer in the morning. In the spring, we do the opposite. We want to do bright light exposure fairly quickly upon waking in the morning. So this would be a great time, like if your child wakes up for the day at 6, to go for a walk in the stroller outside at 6.30. This is where we want to really get that great sunlight, that great bright light exposure first thing in the morning, and then keep things kind of dull and dark and dim, you know, for the hour prior to bedtime. Yeah. So it's the opposite of our light exposure plan for fall. Yeah, limiting those screens an hour before bedtime. Yeah, you know, and just in general, I mean, my kids are older. Um, in general, I don't like to do kind of screen time or TV time, um, you know, too close to bedtime. Now, I'm a huge hypocrite because, of course, what do I do before bedtime? I, you know, I'm watching Survivor <laughs> and Westward, but, like, you know. I, yeah, but you're wearing your red-shifted goggles while you're doing that. I, yes, right? yeah, no. <laughs> but I will say I am a champion sleeper. So it's I have no problems falling asleep and staying asleep. So I'm really, really good at falling asleep. Uh, so it doesn't cause me personally problems. But in general with kids, I know a lot of people like to do kind of like a wind down TV time or, you know, the mm-hmm. last step before they, you know, go to bed is is quiet iPad time. Um, I like to discourage that and try to keep the screen time, the bright light time, you know, earlier in the evening and have and just in, as a general sleep hygiene perspective, like just not do screens with kids, you know, an hour or two prior to bedtime. Yeah. Even though it's a great wind down activity, it's the thing that calms everyone down. But I guess that's where we use books. I like books. And if I could just make a little book plug, you know, I've been trying to get my kids into Harry Potter and my youngest can't do books without pictures. He just he just loses interest. Mm -hmm. So Melissa encouraged me to get the illustrated (laughs) Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And I did. And it was expensive. I don't usually buy like $30 hardback books. But just as a side note, can I just say it is gorgeous and worth every penny. And my boys uh, have been loving it. And it's got just uh, enough so illustrations glad. to keep everybody, like, loving the story. I've been – it's like I'm rediscovering Harry Potter. I haven't read, you know, Sorcerer's Stone in 15 years. I'm oh, adoring yeah, this Oh, yeah, the pictures. Yeah, it's worth uh, it. So how, glad how old that you guys like it. How old is he? The one that's – Bryce is seven. And he still likes to look at pic- – like, if I'm reading to him, he wants pictures. Yeah. So right. – um. Yeah, so so normally I would like blanch it, like spending thirty bucks on a hardback book, but this one's worth it, guys. And no, this is not a sponsored <laughs> podcast. No. Oh, no, put it out there. 
Although if J.K. Rowling wants to sponsor me, I am always available for her. um, (laughs) Yeah, if if she wants to be on our podcast, we'll interview her. Open door. I don't know what we'll do with Baby Sleep, but we'll do it (laughs) anytime, any place. All right, so that's it. Does anybody else have any other thoughts to add about daylight savings? Yeah, it really isn't that complex. What needs to be done? I mean, it causes a lot of angst, but I'm already seeing panicky posts about it. People like worrying about it and. If you struggle with this too, with your body clock, with the daylight savings time, you as the adult, you can apply all these tips to oh, yeah. you as well. So I do struggle. I do struggle mind. with it. <laughs> well, you can apply these tips, Alexa. But I have my fancy sad lamp, so I'm I'm <laughs> empowered to to make things better. There you go. All right, so don't panic, guys. It'll be okay. And, you know, and the reality is this is just baby jet lag. Daylight savings is just baby jet lag. And we know that it takes, you know, two to three days to adjust to some jet lag. And then your body kind of adjusts to the time zone that you're in. And it's not that big a deal. I mean, for one hour, you know, we're not traveling to New Zealand Mm -hmm. here. So, you know, it's one hour change. Whatever you do, even if you don't take our advice, your child and yourself, you're going to adjust in a couple of days. And and life goes on. So it's, um, it's a blip. It's not a big deal. Use light exposure, make gradual changes. It'll be okay. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you have a moment, please head on over to iTunes and leave a kind review. You'll also want to subscribe because we've got a lot of great stuff coming, including a multi-part series on for working parents that covers a range of topics, including how to find great daycare, how to help your child sleep at daycare, how to deal with working parent guilt, pumping, and lots more great stuff. Uh, as always, if you want to leave us a comment or ask a question, you can reach us at podcast at com. And we hope to talk to you soon. 